This is Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's podcast series interviewing clean tech leaders from around the world. This episode is being sponsored by Tesla Shuttle. Tesla Shuttle is a city-to-city shuttle service using Tesla vehicles and sometimes other electric vehicles that has routes in the United States, Canada, and Europe. With Tesla Shuttle, you can enjoy luxurious, smooth, and clean intercity transport in the safest cars on the road guilt-free. Book a ride today at teslashuttle.com. All right, so we're here with Howard Klein. He's got video on, and Rodney Hooper from RK Equity. We're talking today about the title I came up with was Lithium Nick. Lithium, nickel, and Tesla, oh my, something like that. (laughs) So, um, you know, sort of trying to dive into nickel more today, but I'm sure lithium will come up. So I guess we can just jump into it. One one topic, one thing you tweeted, Howard, uh, recently was 9.5.5 is the new 811. Or is question mark? Is it the new 811 Ford F-150 best-selling U.S. pickup truck for 40 years, electric version 2023, supplied by SK Innovation Georgia? So just to translate a few things, you know, basically batteries went from like um, a 111 ratio to to more and more like 622, 811 uh, to tr- sort of work cobalt out um, and increase nickel and sort of you know try to bring down the cost. So you're saying is it going from 811 to 9.5.5 which i never even of course considered since you're going you're getting into fractions uh but uh, can you speak a little bit more about that idea and and about the ford f-150 and about the batteries battery supplier sk innovation you mentioned that has a factory in georgia and what all this means. I'm going to defer to uh, Rodney to speak about kind of uh, specific battery chemistries and the like. But uh, my tweet there, uh, which you referenced, was largely basically to say the Ford F-150, which is the best-selling truck for 40 years in America, if that goes electric, and that's going to be you know the battery chemistry that, that you say, it's going to be a high-energy, dense battery. Um, it's going to require a ton of nickel and if Elon Musk is saying mine more nickel, uh, that Ford F-150 is going to be competing for Cybertruck and Semi in Austin. And therefore, where are you going to get the nickel from? And when you think about high nickel, you're also thinking about um, lithium hydroxide specifically. Uh, so the two are correlated. High nickel batteries and lithium hydroxide as opposed to lithium carbonate you know, is the important um, element there. And then when you think of lithium hydroxide, I was making the argument that, you know, the preference to get lithium hydroxide is from hard rock mineral resources. And um, you've seen a couple of uh, capital raises, financings, um, and and data points pointing to hard rock uh, mines starting to get funded a little bit. You know, in in Australia, Pilbara refinanced their debt from 12% to 5%. Um, In Brazil, you know, uh, Sigma Lithium, uh, raised some money also w- w- with some 5% debt. And this week, um, a saga in Quebec, uh, you know, a bankrupt company in Namaska attracted uh, an investment you know, in the bankruptcy process from a private equity firm called Palinghurst, which will invest up to 600 million you know, Canadian dollars with some you know, Canadian kind of government support. 
you know, so this is to kind of get, um, you know, hard rock to hydroxide into high nickel batteries in environmentally friendly ways and, you know, localized ways. Um, you know, the Quebec angle, I think we also talked about North Carolina in the past, you're, you're from North Carolina, you know, there's Piedmont lithium and there's, uh, you know, Albemarle, which have hard rock uh, mines, not yet, you know, in development, but, uh, you know, the potential is there, you know, for like Quebec, Carolina, um, and, uh, you know, to support the Ford F-150 and to support SK Innovation, as you mentioned, uh, which is going to make those batteries in Georgia, right? That could feed the F-150 and, um, and the like. So th that was the point of my tweet. I'll let Rodney speak specifically about, you know, this, uh, you know, 9.5.5 um, chemistry versus 811. The Ford, you, you know, Ford using, you know, that, that chemistry will, will come in time, but I guess... It, it gets uh, it gets quite tricky in terms of the manufacturing process when you go 811 and higher. Um, that is the intention. All of the uh, South Korean battery manufacturers have supported the nickel cathodes, but it's not. Uh, I don't think it's as straightforward as uh, as many would think. And you said you we we shared this video you did with the EV Stock Channel talking about nickel and there was one point where you talked uh, I think quite uh, you know quite a good warning was that you know if nickel prices go up too much because of a crunch then battery uh, designers basically will work nickel out like they worked cobalt out, out to, to bring costs down so it's kind of a warning to um, to you know keep in mind that if prices go too high for too long then yeah. battery yeah. chemistries will change Yes. And the number one, I mean, I think the number one question a lot of people have about the F-150 and the, and the Ford Mustang Mach-E is just, um, you know, they could be potentially very compelling electric vehicles, but how many does Ford want to build? How many will Ford build? Uh, do you have any insight from the battery side, what their kind of um, targets or limitations would be? Like if they're thinking, okay, 50,000 a year is max, or if they're if they have things set up to sort of scale up as needed quite no, a bit. That's a good question. I think that, I think they had some limitations at around, um, they were able to do about 300,000 units. Um, by 2025, I'd, I'd need to check, I guess. Um, I mean, if they were smart, they'd be looking to be able to scale that because, you know, by my maths, the Cybertruck's going to be up over a million in pre-orders by the time it comes into production next year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've seen analysts' uh, forecasts of, uh, of uh, valuing, um, you know, the rest of Ford at a negative valuation and all the valuation of Ford in uh, the F-150. Yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean... So, so they would yeah. need to... Uh, they were also looking at potentially sharing with VW in Europe. But I presume that was uh, different models. So, uh, mm -hmm. as best as I can tell, they were capped at around the 300,000 units level. Uh, but um, I'm sure you they think must three, be looking 300,000 300, by 2025, not 300,000 a year. <laughs> that would be that would be big. No, 300, was... so I think um, I think 300,000 a year. But that would, of course, be split across the entire Ford offering. 
Okay. All right. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, that's you know just fascinating topic, and but with a lot, not much insight into it. So um, we're always eager to get more. Uh, so jumping to a second topic there. Um, you mentioned cattle a moment ago, uh, and Howard, you tweeted about cattle essentially saying that it plans to invest up to 2.5 billion in upstream and downstream partnerships to strengthen collaboration across the supply chain. And then in your report that you guys sent out, you know, I highlighted a, a quote regarding uh, cattle as well. Um, what, what what is going on with with in terms of cattle integrating more going up and down the up or down the supply chain further? Um, what do, what do you have? What's new on that? I know mostly lithium. I forget. Uh, I think cattle was involved or purported to be um, putting together something in Indonesia for nickel as part of a consortium. And I think maybe they've made some cobalt, you know, in graphite. But I, I can't recall those directly. But I know they made a meaningful investment, an equity investment, and an offtake agreement with Pilbara Minerals uh, in Lithium, which is an Australian company. And uh, they also have a, a partnership with uh, another Chinese company called Yibin Tanyi, um, which is meant to make or has big plans to make uh, lithium hydroxide uh, in size. And that Yibin company has also invested in um, a small amount um, in, in, a, in an African uh, spodumene mine. So uh, the fact that they're saying there's two and a half billion dollars, it says upstream and downstream. So I'm not saying this is all going into resources, but it does reflect CATL is a tier one battery manufacturer. They're Chinese. The Chinese have been more advanced in their thinking about securing resources than certainly the American or European companies have been. Uh, you know, here's an instance where a battery company is directly investing in a company producing lithium, right? So I, I'm just wondering where else is CATL going to prospectively invest? Will they invest more in Pilbara? Will they invest in, actually CATL was also invested in a Quebec lithium mine, not the one that I just mentioned, which was Namaska, but for a period of time, they invested in North American lithium. They still have that investment, but that company also went bankrupt. So they've been just more forward looking and, uh, but the fact that two and a half billion dollars, I think more money from them is going to come into the lithium, maybe nickel, uh, you know, and, and other raw material, you know, supply chain. And then the question is, will their peers like SK Innovation, LG Chem, Panasonic do the same? Or in Japan, will some of their trading arms like Mitsubishi and Mitsui, which have been involved in some of these, you know, do it instead? And then will Western OEMs, um, like Volkswagen or GM, you know, or even Tesla, uh, you know, follow in, in a similar path to, to CATL. So just watch this space. Two and a half billion dollars is meaningful. Um, they're paranoid about, you know, they have all these big plans, but we've been talking about this de delay. It takes two years to build a, a plant, but five or seven years to build a mine. You know, here they are recognizing the need to, you know, integrate downstream or upstream. Do you think, um... There are more forward-looking on that than than others, or you think that's just uh, they're all in a similar boat? But that's that's what's out there now. I mean, two and a half billion in, in my, I mean, compared to my <laughs> my bank account, that's pretty. That's big. <laughs> I mean, that's that's big on the market. Even you know, joking aside, so that's that's a big deal. 
again, I don't know how much of it is in upstream resources or downstream, um, but in general, Chinese companies have been more forward-looking in this whole industry, and um, they're not the first to have done this. There have been some second and third tier, uh, you know, Chinese converters that have partnered with uh, Australian um, upstream, you know, spodumene producers. But the, the, the fact that they made this investment, it, 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 it's, it's just the, the, the quality of this company, right? And the size of the investment and the fact that they're making a public pronouncement that, you know, two and a half billion dollars, like is a big number. So just to be seen, let's see. Uh, I think since we last spoke, a number of the companies have reported earnings, um, LG Chem, SK Innovation, and the like, and the stocks of those companies have done very well uh, following Tesla to some degree, but the results actually have been pretty good, right? So for the past few years, everyone's been lamenting, why aren't these companies investing you know, in the upstream resources? But part of it is competition for capital, and they haven't been very profitable. But now with Tesla's profitability, you know, with LG Chem profitable in their battery business and the like, right, you know, maybe there's more scope from profits to invest further upstream. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that, that plays out. But CATL is leading in this regard. And then another uh, a big topic in the headline here was nickel. Um, we, talked, we haven't talked about nickel a lot so far. Uh, so maybe we'd jump into, into nickel and... Um, uh yeah what what do you guys have to have that's new on nickel one company that i've I've come to know and appreciate and i have a, I have a big focus on kind of um north american you know u.s opportunities um in all um aspects and and also european ones but but like non-china supply of minerals and you know the, the the chemicals that go into the batteries so that we're not so overly reliant on on China, so one company that has come to my attention and we're doing a little bit of work with is uh, Talon Metals, which is in Minnesota. They have this Tamarack project. Um, you know, the management is very good. They've built mines before and successfully, you know, sold them. Um, you know, this project is partnered with Rio Tinto. So it's, a, you know, a, a, one of the biggest mining companies in, in the world. It's, uh, you know, it's a high grade, you know, sulfide, you know, deposit. It's uh, which is, is rare. It's a class one nickel. So in, in, in nickel kind of grade matters that there's a lot of projects out there and nickel's getting a lot of attention because Elon said, please mine more nickel. And I think I spoke to you or I spoke to somebody else that I, the fact that he said that, you know, I think it was because he doesn't want to actually mine nickel himself, but he, he wants, uh, you know, to increase some speculation that other projects will kind of get developed. And a problem with a lot of projects in nickel in Canada, you know, and, and elsewhere is that they're not economic at the current nickel price. Um, and right now the market for nickel is mostly stainless steel. It's not batteries. So to, to motivate, uh, you know, Norelsk nickel, one of the biggest, you know, nickel producers or, or Vale, you know, in Brazil, you know, they're not, you know, they're not paying enough attention, right. To Elon Musk and, and the, uh, uh, the battery buyers because they're selling, you know, to the, um, uh, to the stainless steel market. So it's much more a commodity and, you know, but in Talon's case, their project would be profitable at today's nickel price. Right. So that, that, that's very attractive. So it's, it's a low capital, uh, cost. It's a low operating cost. 
Um, and, uh, you know, but it's still a few years away, you know, from production. It needs to go through permitting process and it needs to. If I, if I can just uh, add, if I can just add a little to that is, um, I mean, one of the key things, uh, Zach, is that for the stainless steel market, you can produce a ferro-nickel or, a, or a, a nickel pig iron product. So you don't, you don't have to have a high purity nickel product to go into stainless steel. And that uh, you know, has a different supply chain and supply line. What you're asking for in EVs is you're asking for a high purity nickel sulfate that you know, there is quite a, an extensive uh, processing chain that you have to go through to produce that product. Now that's fine. Um, I guess, you know, there are some required um, carbon footprint and uh, the like, but, um, you know, like anything, it needs to be economically incentivized. And um, at the moment, as Howard said, uh, $6.75 doesn't really get the job done. It does for a, a few projects, but, um, you know, these things, especially if you're looking at laterite deposits, you know, excluding the issues surrounding um, surround so on is that, you know, typically these things cost $60,000 uh, of uh, per ton of capacity. So, you know, you need to make a pretty good margin in order to pay that capital back. So it, it comes down to, it, down to the economics, you know, Elon said, you know, don't wait for the price to get back to wherever it was. But in the end, you know, if you're funding, you know, if you're going to fund a 40,000 ton a year project, you need 2.4 billion. And that's a huge commitment to make if you aren't going to get the reasonable return. Yeah. So that's why nickel sulfides are, are kind of, are, are kind of uh, you know, the high grade ones are better. I mean, someone like Talon on the original PA, you know, you're under $300 million for CapEx. Um, the massive Sulfides are very low grade. Uh, the large ones in Canada that, you know, are, are also looking at it, you know, again, those are billion dollar plus projects that need $8 a pound of nickel. Not to say that it can't happen, but that's what's required. And, and until then, um, you know, it's going to be very select projects that can get there. But Indonesia can. The question marks are around what do they do with tailings and waste and all of that acid and so on that they use to produce. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we're actually, we're going to follow, follow up with Talon a bit um, to learn more, but I found out that this, um, this Tamarack nickel project in Minnesota is one of the only undeveloped nickel projects in the U S according to them. And uh, working, working to, they're working to produce um, the kind of nickel for EV best suited for EV batteries. Um, so two questions. Uh, does that mean that, you know, we've talked about lithium processing and stuff in the past. Uh, does that mean a company like Talon, Talon would do that itself? Or does, or is that like uh, something like, you know, they, they, they would have to mine this, mine it, collect it, I don't know, a certain way, and then have partners to do the rest before it's ready for an EV battery uh, cell buyer, like uh, oh, they actually have a choice. Zach, they have a choice, and again, it comes down to economics. So, someone like Talon and and other sulfide can make a concentrate and then sell that on to a smelter, 
or they can go the, the entire process route and produce uh, a nickel sulfate. But it comes down to what the pay, pay on in the product. So it depends what a smelter would pay them for concentrates. And it depends on what, you know, Tesla or whoever else will pay you for the sulfate for doing the entire process. So. Yeah. So then, okay, that's interesting. And, and we'll follow up with them, as I said. And also, so, you know, in this case, it's clearly a, a potential bottleneck. There's clearly a challenge with pricing and sustainability. Um, do you expect to see this year some announcements about, you know, Tesla, Volkswagen, others uh, putting in, you know, helping to finance, like, like you guys have pitched before, they have much lower financing costs, helping to finance um, some new nickel projects? Um, I'm sure you're looking out for it. Uh, and I, I'm also positive that if you see it, you will let us know first, right? So we can break some news and give you credit, <laughs> give you credit for letting, you know, for letting us know. But uh, yeah, do you, I mean, what, what's your, what are your expectations? Look, I mean, you've got to, I guess you've got to look at the, at the landscape um, for each of the uh, different players. I think, uh, if uh, if Tesla sells 500,000 units this year, if they achieve that number, they're going to be nearly 25% of the EV market, possibly a little less because Europe's doing really well. So um, I don't know what ambitions you know Tesla has to maintain whatever percentage market share, but at some point in time, um, they uh, if they are going to do internal cell manufacturing, which is, you know, supposedly the roadrunner and everything we're all hyped to see on September 22nd, then battery metal procurement is not something you leave to Panasonic anymore. It's your problem now. So um, if they are going to, uh, if they are going to produce their own cells and they've got to secure their own cathode, and I guess um, they would have a very good insight into the numbers that they need. So I think it, I would see it as very difficult if you've got four operational gigafactories, uh, you know, around the world that you can avoid um, uh, taking procurement very seriously. The level on which they do it, I think, again, Howard mentioned it, uh, we'll see, uh, you know, they could take different routes with different battery metals. Um, but um, I'm sure they would be encouraging and, and interacting with all of the potential projects across across their requirements obviously the main ones are going to be most likely uh, nickel they've already done cobalt with glencore they've got 6000 tons a year so that probably leaves you with um with nickel and with uh, with lithium so i can't see that they are going to want to get into the business of mining we've said this before it doesn't make sense they're cutting edge everywhere else um but uh, having secure lines of supply, I'm sure, is top of, of top of mind for them now. I'm, I mean, I'm new new to this in, in general. It's not my area, but um, the arguments uh, Howard and you have made for you know how much it just makes a lot of sense to, to with low cost financing Tesla can get now um, to just help bring down the cost by helping with that side of things um, uh, is first of all, I guess. Uh, why wouldn't they? <laughs> and second of all, uh, you know, if they don't do that, then 
is, I mean, it's basically guaranteed there's a higher cost to, to the nickel, right? I mean, is, is there anyone else going to offer such low cost financing or help help with that? Is there anything other than Tesla Volkswagen stepping in to help bring that part of the cost down? Mining companies currently face a very high cost of capital because their equity prices in general are low and um, the, uh, you know, uh, debt financing has been very high. But as I said earlier, um, you know, Pilbara and Sigma, two companies have managed to raise 5% interest rate financing uh, for debt, uh, not 11, 12 or 15% as was the case two years ago. Uh, and that, those loans were coming from BNP Paribas, you know, and Societe Generale, so two French banks. So the, the European, Europe, just like they're having carrot and stick, um, you know, with the emissions penalties, but then subsidizing car purchases, there's, they're also encouraging sustainable finance. Um, and I think that's an example uh, of lowering the cost of capital. 5% is, is not terrible. If you're a copper mine, right? If you're a gold mine and you're borrowing from those guys, uh, you know, you're probably getting about 5%, you know, interest rates. So, so that's happening a bit, right? It's still, it's not, it's not half a percent, you know, what, what Tesla could borrow at or what some other, you know, um, you know, investment credit credit could do. Another way is potentially big mining companies like Rio Tinto, right, can help finance um, mines in lithium and nickel or BHP if they decided to, to get into it, uh, or big oil companies, right? So there are many companies outside of this sector that are, uh, or, or that are in adjacent sectors that are more natural in the, in the mining or chemical processes. Like why can't Dow or DuPont, right, or BASF or Umicor, you know, kind of get into this business. So it's to be seen how that's going to shake out, but it is a the, fact, it is a fa- fact that the auto OEMs are increasingly part of the decision making, um, and the auto OEMs do have the highest kind of revenue. Um, and uh, you know, but to the extent that GM or Volkswagen even thought about this. You know, it was kind of delayed for six months because of COVID, right? You know, because their businesses were, you know, took a major hit in their traditional cars. And you point, I mean, a really interesting thing pointing out Europe, European Union, because obviously they have now very strong carrot and stick. Uh, you know, they have the strong CO2 regulation requirements with stick. Um, the con- several major countries have increased subsidies for electric vehicles. Um, and and automakers have been, you know, working with governments there for a while talking about battery supply. So it's been a topic of discussion. I mean, it would make a lot of sense if the European Union and certain countries are saying, okay, we're going to do our part by making sure that the banks are, are helping get the supply up. So making sure that the banks, you know, requiring the banks to, to offer certain lower cost financing than they would for battery um, mineral mining and, and that kind of thing. Have you do you know of anything like that in the regulatory government sector, or is it kind of still generic and, and just overall they're 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 you know they're focused on these kind of topics, but we don't but nothing specific. Well, the, the European Investment Bank has made loans to Umicore for cathodes, Sorry, uh, LG Chem for batteries, 
and um, and Northvolt as well. Okay, I don't know what the interest rate on those are, but European Investment Bank is a multilateral. You know, it's a European focused. I think it's somewhat subsidized, but these are more. In the case of LG Chem and Numicore, relatively established companies. Um, in Northvolt, that's a startup, uh, but it's you know downstream. So a question is: Might the European Investment Bank provide low-cost funding to mining and processing of materials for European projects? And there, you get into a question: Is um, how you know is mining taboo? Right, you know, in in Europe, do, do they not, you know, <laughs> right? So, are they willing to? Yeah. They, they might encourage and Sockgen and BNP actually have historically had big mine mining project finance lending arms. So they've been big lenders in this business um, for a very long period of time. So they do have expertise. But the question, you know, they might encourage those guys, right? might they put in some credit enhancement to a loan that they may give, right? To enable them to give an even lower interest rate than 5%, for example. This is what Japanese banks do, or, or this is what Japan does uh, in general. So through their JOGMEC, right? They, it's a, I forget what that stands for, but it's, it's a government entity, Japan, oil and gas, whatever. Um, it's an entity that helps facilitate loans, but then they say, okay, Mizuho, a Japanese bank, you're the one who's going to lend it, you know, we'll support the loan, we'll guarantee the loan, but, you know, it'll come off of your books and then, you know, it, it'll be at a very low interest rate. So in the case of Oracobre, a lithium project in Argentina, uh, the Japanese government provided exceptionally low cost funding. Um, they're it's below 4%, right? For Argentina risk, that's like insanely low. So Japan's done it selectively. Japan's also done it with a rare earths company, Linus. Okay, the paranoia about uh, rare earths um, all, all being in China is so great. If you remember, maybe you don't remember, but in 2011, you know, rare earths took off because Japan stopped selling. Yeah. Um, you know, so China, sorry, China stopped selling to Japan Japan got so paranoid, you know, mm -hmm. so Linus was a, the, the Japanese have been exceptionally supportive in financing Linus's projects. Uh, so will Europe do so for European projects? Look, we're about to have an election in the United States. If Biden wins, right, under Obama, uh, um, they help fund Fisker. They help fund A123 and Tesla and um, geothermal plants and solar plants and, and wind plants might they finance mines or chemical processing again that that's going to be a battle between you know i want my clean energy you know but do, do i want you know mining in my backyard in in america depending on kind of where it is but it's conceivable in a two trillion three trillion whatever you know deal that uh, biden is proposing that there could be low-cost debt funding made available um to American projects or projects with, with our allies in, uh, you know, Australia and Canada or whatever, but I, I doubt we'd want taxpayer funded, um, you know, support yeah, for no. outside of America projects. Well, talking about Europe, you know, it was interesting. I, I, I feel like, I don't know, my, my guess would be that that's almost like a, it sounds like that would almost be like a guarantee because they're quite, 
they're quite focused. They're increasingly focused on this topic. I feel like they would, if that becomes an issue, that they're going to step in and help help that happen in Europe. But but you do bring up the really important point of taboo and whether or not that would uh, get squashed by um, pushback. But on the U.S. case, I just started thinking about that right before you started talking about it as well. And um, I mean, Obama, Obama Biden administration, they were quite heavily, you know. Um, kind of supportive of, of getting American, you know, manufacturing and uh, kind of uh, st helping in a, in a kind of traditionally Republican way, you know, more market focused way, not, not like a regulatory top down way, but kind of helping uh, companies get going, like you highlighted with um, different EV initiatives and other things, uh, renewable energy. I would, I mean, I, I, I think it would be a, I think it would be a given personally that that he and his administration would notice this as a big issue, would want to bring, I mean, he's, he's always been very focused on bringing back, you know, blue collar jobs to the U.S., um, you know, in, in recent years, several recent years at least. Uh, so it seems like that would be a definite big part of a stimulus package. But, um, but yeah, we, if there's so much, we don't know what's going to happen in November, of course. We don't know, we don't really know in, at the end who, who ends up having influence and power in different uh, parts of any administration.